Hello, hello, and welcome to another Hometown Daily, Season 2, Episode 265 for September 22nd, 2023. Today we're going to discuss Apple watermarks for authenticity, Spotify premium lossless audio, less than healthy work relationship, Valve preps Steam VR, fake site used to steal cards, AI prompt engineer wanted, Robocop needs an assistant Robocop. Achievement unlocked, Greedy Bob. An unknown language on an ancient tablet. And I don't think this will help Unity. Next. <laughs> I just looked at something and it... it it made my brain shut down and I'm not quite sure <laughs> what, what really happened. That was weird. Um, I, I, it was like a deer in a headlight kind of a thing. Anyway, uh, I am Marwat. That is hometown.com except that it's not actually up there yet. Okay. There we go. I scrolled down just a little bit. Anyway, I'm Marwat. That's hometown.com and the AI is off doing whatever the AI does. So um, I've already got all of the articles all lined up. Let's knock them down. Uh, the first one is, well, Apple watermarks for authenticity. This first article over in the Smack Talk channel on hometown.com says uh, Apple uses hidden watermarks on iPhone 15 boxes to verify authenticity. Um, Extra precautions have been taken for iPhone 15 boxes that give retail employees and buyers a new way to verify the device is real, but you'll need a, v a UV light. Uh, this is over at appleinsider.com and Wesley Hilliard is the author. Uh, I'm pretty familiar with this kind of stuff because there's been a history in technology um, for something to be used uh, that is non-invasive can't be easily detected unless somebody i don't know uh usually obfuscation for some things works you know cybersecurity in general obfuscation doesn't really work because all that really is 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 mining for data and then it somebody finds it um but some of these things that have been used in tech are quite fascinating like injection um inkjet printers um, inject UV in a specific pattern of dots on the print so that you can take variable light and look at it and you can find this pattern that in embeds in each print the serial number for your printer and once you know the serial number the supply chain leads back all the way to the retail channel where upon you know uh, inquiry the credit card that was used for that particular serial number it leads to a person. Then you go and interrogate that person and the person says, oh, well, I gave it away or sold it or whatever. And the forensics team just keeps on pursuing this doggedly until they find out who it is that, you know, printed whatever it might be. Well, on these boxes, apparently extra precautions have been taken for iPhone 15 boxes. Uh, scammers attempt to sell fake iPhones by using convincing replicated device packaging 
Apple has added a new invisible watermarking system in an attempt to eliminate this practice. But just like other things, super bills and whatnot, every, somebody is going to be, you know, creating a, now that it's known, somebody's going to be creating something similar. You know, stamps have the same problem. They're supposed to have protections, forensic protections in them, but it doesn't matter because somebody is going to be the smarter mouse and just tear on through any of those protections. Um, sad but true. You build a better mousetrap and smarter mice show up. It says there is some concern that scammers will be able to replicate the watermark. It seems the QR code may be what makes the system more secure since it likely contains a system verifiable code that scammers won't easily copy. That might be the case. Uh, kind of a one and done kind of um, code that is on a known website that doesn't get spoofed, but uh, you know, where there's a will, there's a way. And uh, the weakest link in any security ultimately is the human being that decides that they're just not going to follow that. Um, it's one of the problems with uh, phishing. You know, I can have all kinds of protections in place, but if the idiot at the phone decides that they're just going to divulge all of my personally ident identifiable information or compromise the password by resetting it just because somebody knows a lot about me, it doesn't matter how sophisticated the software is. Um, you know, somebody could sit there and go, well, I know that there's two factor authentication on there, but I don't have that phone anymore and I can't reset it because da 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 da. da. And then somebody goes, oh, okay, well, I'll reset it this one time. Well, you typically have to be a target for that kind of thing. But I know somebody that is using my email address. <laughs> um, and I've actually told them, I've said this before in a previous stream, I've told people who are proxies to this person because I can't get in touch with them. I don't have their information, but I could contact their bank. I could contact a credit card company, but I don't want to be the person that comes across as if I am the hacker. I would have to justify my existence. It, this person needs to realize that all of their stuff that they've been aligning things with isn't their address email address um and people share names so quit being a bonehead so authenticity really the limit is the human being the human component on the other side of that so we'll we'll keep watching this this will be interesting and if you're really curious about that printer uv watermark um just do a search for that um security watermark and inkjet printer and you'll get the historical context of that because it's been around for something like 15 or 20 years now let's keep on going we got a whole bunch of news ahead so the next uh articles over in the smack talk channel spotify supremium lossless audio planned pricing looks to be 20 dollars a month if you are a spotify user and uh, you have i don't know um an ambition to listen to lossless audio because of the fidelity and gamut you got a broader range when it's lossless but still i don't know you're dealing with compression no matter what it's being sent 
using compression it might get unwrapped on the other side but if you're using bluetooth then it's being compressed again uh, unless you download it in its entirety in the lossless format and then you have wired headphones um, or your stereo is completely wired there's compression all over the place so i guess minimizes the loss the ver uh this article is over at um nine to five mac i believe it is let me see yeah it's nine to five mac and they say that we first heard back in June that Spotify Supremium might be the name given to the company's long-awaited lossless audio tier. And that now appears to be the confirmed amount by the code and the name. The code also says that it's going to be uh, $20 a month, which is in line with the previous report. But let's go over to the source. Ben Lovejoy is the author. Um... Yeah, they got a picture here of these open back headphones. I just watched a video about somebody who was holding uh, the whole thing, amplifiers and everything was $60,000. It's over on YouTube. Um, and two people that have done this review kind of a thing have said that they've been brought to tears by the fidelity of these headphones from Sennheiser. Um, I, I guess I only have cheap headphones, so the, the most expensive headphones that I've ever uh, put on that I've actually owned are the ones that are on my head right now, which are from Austrian Audio. Um, and they're not particularly expensive, and I can't justify purchasing uh, Apple headphones. Um, but I've tried on $2,000 headphones before, and eh, maybe I'm just too old to be an audiophile and my ears are low rent <laughs> i don't know so this supremium maybe i can try it um and it'll make a difference with my headset because if the audio is uncompressed the fidelity is there the sample rate is high then it has the full gamut from 20 hertz to 20 kilohertz if the music runs that full spectrum then you'll hear premium sound the sound stage will be more immersive you'll hear more of the beeps and whistles hello z and uh glad you stopped by because i i'm actually kind of on top of throwing the articles and you got here really early so i hope you enjoy the show happy friday to you too welcome to the show i hope you have a good weekend I don't know uh proud of me <laughs> what oh that i because i'm keeping up with the links and yeah, just wait we're only two out of ten i'll fall on my face with this next one so the article um again over at nine to five mac uh, is written by ben lovejoy and it highlights some of the things um, about it costing twenty dollars and that it's lossless and <sighs> the the thing about all of this is there's so many interstitial steps before it hits your ears that i have a hard time with streaming lossless audio um maybe if i can download it and it's lossless and i can listen to it local and all of that is there all of the content is there 
then I'll buy into it. But until then, I don't know if I can. Um, it says here, additionally, relatively few people can hear the difference between the high quality lossy format uh, used by both services. They mention Apple Music uh, up above. Sure, back in the days when 256 kilobits MP3 files were the norm, the difference was noticeable to many of us. But these days, Spotify uses 320 uh, Vorbis, which is lossless. While Apple Music uses 256 AAC, and both are very good. Or I should say the Vorbis files are... Um, yeah, I thought that they were lossless. Uh, if you want to know whether you can hear the difference, there's an online test that you can take. But if it's anything online, it's going to be compressed. I don't think that you can hear the difference. Um, they say here the last time they took one of these things had shifted from you can tell when trying hard to. Well, you got more than 50% right, but that may not be a big enough margin to mean much. And I, I can't remember a time um i'd say 15 to 20 years where anybody has ever been able to say that they've heard a difference uh from any streaming service any you know internet-based audio and then i really think that the person was just really lucky so uh, I, the only time that i've ever heard a real difference is when you're standing in front of wildly expensive speakers in a, a, a studio in a room that's built for audiophiles to enjoy uh, music and even then it was music that was tailor-made to amplify the difference between you know one song uh, being compressed one song being uncompressed i mean that it was like lab setting <laughs> Um, so let's keep on going. I don't want to hang out too much with one particular topic today. I'll get hung up and, and just start spiraling about the content. So this next article is over in uh, hometown daily, a survey of 15,000 workers around the world found that less than a third think that they have a healthy relationship with their job. I don't know of anybody that says that they've got a healthy relationship with their job. Um, when you start peeling back the layers of the onion, it's quite fascinating. Um, you know, like teachers, they do their gig um, and they sacrifice things because they really like teaching. They enjoy that environment. And while they may say that they've got a healthy relationship with their job, it's because they've capitulated in some way to be a, a teacher. Um, same thing with, you know, every field um attorneys for instance they work extremely hard a lot of hours make gobs of money they may love the power and influence of being an attorney um but when you peel back the layers of the onion there's some type of compromise like well i can't hang out with my kids as much or take as many vacations as i would like to i think that a third um is even high so and in fact, the article actually says only 27% of workers worldwide said that they have a healthy relationship with work, a new study found, which is rather sad. <laughs> um, and this might actually be cultural. It might be endemic to the United States, not necessarily um, 
every country. They say 15,000 workers around the world. Um, but I think that this index might reveal something here. The HP Workplace Re Relationship Index surveyed over 15,000 people in 12 countries about their relationship with work. High levels of dissatisfaction mean that 83% of workers are willing to take a pay cut to be happier. And that happiness index really is so highly subjective. Uh, yeah, I, I, it would have to be an ongoing thing, longitudinal. And even meta, where there's a lot of these studies being done that are focusing on their particular domain, regional areas. Um, and it seems like it's focused quite well, 12 countries, but it needs to be longer. Uh, US, UK, Canada, India, and Japan were included, but there's others. The study analyzed over 50 aspects of people's relationship with work from their role that uh, work plays in their lives to the impact it has on their well-being. Findings were somewhat bleak. 27% of knowledge workers said that they have a healthy relationship with work with a low of 5% in Japan and a high of 50% in India. Some 28% of workers in the U.S. said that they have a healthy relationship with work. I'd be curious about the Nordic regions and Norway, Sweden, Finland. They tend to have a high happiness index um, in general. I mean, it's kind of like the Disneyland of the world, I guess. Um, let me see, let's scan this real quick and see if they've got anything else in here that the watch out zone, huh? Overall, almost a third of workers reported having an unhealthy relationship with work while 41% were in what the study called the watch out zone. Poor relationships with work are bleeding into other areas of the workers' lives. Um, yeah, this is, this I think is endemic now, um, uh, because more and more concentrations of wealth and opportunity are being granted to people and you know you should be happy and this is actually a quote that i was told it's been several years since this person made this comment but um they they basically said you you should be happy um that we gave you an opportunity and um i i had to hold back punching this person in the throat but Hey, you know, assault is not my thing, uh, but the, the person definitely deserved it. And that power imbalance, that desire to exert that power imbalance leads to things like <laughs> un, unwell working conditions. Um, even though it wouldn't have been coined as a hostile work environment, it certainly doesn't make a person happy. Um, additionally, almost two thirds of employees said that they struggle to maintain healthy eating, working out and getting a good night's sleep. Yeah. Workers are willing to give up 13% of their salary uh, to work where they want and when they want and 11% of their salary to work somewhere with above average employment, uh, sorry, employee engagement. Yeah. And that's the whole quiet quitting and. There's even quiet firing now. Kind of sad that we all just don't love our jobs. But uh, I've been told, you know, not everybody gets to love their job. Yeah, I guess so. Let's keep going.
The next article is over on the Warcrafter channel. Valve preps Steam VR overhaul as excitement grows for rumored headset. Valve is keeping busy. The company has dramatically increased the number of changes made to Steam VR over the past two months, including updates that would be aimed at a new headset. Whether this is the Valve placement of the groundwork for a next-gen VR headset, it's Valve. We really don't know what the company is up to. It does appear that a major rework of Steam VR is on the horizon. So if you are into VR, Steam is pretty much your go-to. They've got a lot of uh, games and in fact a new one dropped let me pull it up here um i think it's called hell sweeper um that just came into sorry i'm trying to find it real quick i want to make sure it is what i uh, it is what it's called i think it's called hell sweeper come on I've got over 300 games in my watch list, so uh, so I'm scrolling through them trying to find them. Yeah, I think it's called Hellsweeper VR. I have it sorted poorly for this. Anyway, doing it live, folks. This is how the sausage is made. Um, and uh, there are games that are constantly coming out for VR, and then something weird might happen where it's not supported anymore because some other steam VR patch has taken place. So now a third party has to augment their game because this cycle is happening. Um, but VR is still gaining traction. I don't think it's slowing down even with companies bowing out of it. Uh, I think there are still developers and passionate uh, consumers of VR. I certainly am. Uh, I want to play it every day, but I'm the mayor of hometown. I can't play games all day. I try. Jacob Ridley over at PCGamer.com put this article together. The deck statement says you never know with Valve, but it looks like it's getting uh, ready for something. News from uh, comes from Brad Lynch. Sadly, it's Bradley over on the site formerly known as Twitter. I will not call it what they want me to call it. Sadly, it's Bradley is over on um, YouTube as well. Uh, and I actually uh, discovered, sadly, it's Bradley out of the blue. Uh, I think that they caught me by talking about um, big screen, uh, which is the small headset, the small uh, cabled VR headset. Um, they've been keeping an eye on the releases for Steam VR. First and foremost, a new VR dashboard coming to Steam from various lines of code. It appears that it'll include new icons, UI, settings for VR headsets using Steam VR. More importantly, they also spotted code for battery indicators and status within the dashboard. You don't need those for a tethered headset, such as the Valve Index. So what might they be for? Well, they could be for an API for cordless vr headsets like the pico 4 that's what i've got i used to have an index but i sold it um mainly because i kept tripping over the cable at room scale you have this umbilical following you around i actually have had it hanging from the ceiling um at one point and i just got tired of it just being a tangly cable mess 
It says here there's also a new feature for Steam's uh, remote play that is able to check if users are streaming games with a VR headset and a new collection of VR apps in the library. Sadly, it's Bradley even put together a handy graph to show recent flurry of activities and you can follow the link through hometown over to this valve article let me throw it into chat real quick there you go um and uh, let's keep on hustling through the news come on come on sometimes my transitions are slow i'm not going not sure what's going on the next article is over on the technology today channel Hotel hackers redirect guests to fakebooking.com to steal cards. Wow, man, that's some serious work here. Security researchers discovered a multi-step information stealing campaign where hackers breached the systems of hotels, booking sites, and travel agencies, and then used their access to go after a financial uh, data belonging to customers. And this poison portal kind of environment is actually pretty easy to set up um, particularly in Wi-Fi environments um, you know mm, no I'm not prepared doggone it I have one um, I have this thing called a pineapple I actually have two of them an older generation and a newer one and um, I give demonstrations using this and it freaks people out basically I can clone uh, Wi-Fi hotspots and people will automatically attach to the most powerful hotspot and it clones it directly and it actually copies and and clones any hotspot that you've been attached to that you haven't removed from your um your device and it's not always easy to remove past connections from your device because what ends up happening is your device starts sending out a request for your access point are you here are you here and then my device hears it that request and then fires off yeah i'm right here <laughs> and then it allows you to connect to it so um i don't know i don't think that that's what they're doing here in the grand scheme of things uh, um using like a a, a, a wi-fi pineapple um, but they might be using something similar in that they're creating a, a portal um, that's poisoned so that when you go to some URL, it says uh, you have to go here first, or if you're gonna go to booking.com, it creates an exact copy of booking. Um, I doubt that they are focusing on just booking.com. That would be weird, but maybe small enough in that maybe nobody would notice that particular target. Um, whereas somebody might detect a whole plethora of fake sites. Um, this kind of, this kind of stuff is really easy nowadays to do. And it, it's very important for member for everybody, but particularly members of hometown, um, because the messaging that I'm trying to say here is you need to be aware. Make sure that you're connecting to a trusted location. 
Um, it says here, next level fishing. Typically, researchers observed info stealer campaigns that targeted the hospitality industry, like hotels, travel agencies, using advanced social engineering techniques to deliver info stealing malware. It starts with a simple query to make a reservation or refers to an existing one. Researchers at cybersecurity, um, at cybersecurity perception point, probably company, um, cybersecurity company perception point, say, in a report earlier this month, after establishing connection with the hotel, the criminals invoke a reason such as a medical condition or a special request for one of the travelers to send important documents via a URL. So this is all, this is all the human. Um, and the mantra that I try and promote is click with care, trust, but verify, make sure that what you're doing is actually a legitimate uh, information request fulfillment. Don't just blindly start sending stuff. Don't just click emails. If you get some weird email and it's involving some organization and it's out of the blue, and even if it is like uh, tertiary attached to whatever it is you're up to, I would call somebody and contact uh, an actual human being when, because you don't know what the level of compromise is. So I, I don't, I don't send anything that might compromise my personal information and security uh, until I know. And I've received, you know, requests for information and all of that kind of stuff. And I just pick up the phone and I call somebody. Um, yeah, I just don't, I don't trust email anymore. Well, I never really did, but um, having a direct and trusted communication channel with the final victim, cybersecurity can send their phishing e message disguised as a legitimate request for the now compromised hotel booking service or travel agency. And it's really more about redirecting them before they actually get into a legitimate site. This is all heavy human powered. Um, Guez says that the uh, victim receives a link for the alleged card verification to keep the reservation. The link triggers on the victim's machine is executable. That is encoded in a, a complex JavaScript base 64 um, script. That's kind of messily written. Um, but, uh, once you encode, um, base 64 JavaScript in base 64, it basically is, it looks like gibberish, um, even on the web page. The researcher stresses the script's purpose is to detect information about the browsing environment, and it is designed to make analysis significantly more difficult. Um, but they're basically spoofing this site and making it look like booking.com. Um, the only real way to verify this would be to look at um, the cookies. The, there's metadata um, behind the lock on your browser right there, as a matter of fact, if you're watching the stream. So, but it's beyond the scope of our discussion today. At any rate, what you don't want to do is just start getting into a discussion with somebody uh, via email uh, unless you're the instigator of it and the intended uh, re recipient is verifiable as being the, the point of contact for that particular website. Um, all this random stuff starts getting questionable. Like the moment that you find this, 
guest-approve.info. You either try and contact booking.com directly. Um, <laughs> yeah, thanks, Z. Yeah, today's lesson in cybersecurity with Marwat. Um, you can go and look up the the domain name for this to verify who's the who the owner is. Normally, it's not obfuscated. If it's a company, the company is the point of contact there. Um, but I would contact the um, the actual company. I would have contact um, booking.com and said, hey, is guest-approve.info a legitimate site for booking.com? And they'd probably lose their mind. So anyway, let's keep on going. Happy to answer questions if you got them. Uh, the next article is over in the Hatch Ideas channel. This is the number one most important AI skill you need to know, says MIT expert. You can learn the basics in two hours. <clears throat> so this segment is actually titled AI Prompt Engineer Wanted, and you may be surprised how lucrative it is to be an AI prompt engineer. That is the latest title for the newest field and uh, I guess job career path, maybe meme level career path. Employers want AI savvy workers right now, says Anand Agarwal, chief platform officer of education tech company to you, especially ones with a particular skill and not the same ones from Taken. Tom Huddleston, Huddleston, sorry, Tom Huddleston Jr. Um, over at CNBC in the Make It section, um, if you're adept at understanding and using artificial intelligence platforms, you're a highly valuable prospective employee for a lot of companies right now. And if you want to know where to start, Anant Agarwal has some advice. The single most important skill that everybody has pointed to is these two words, prompt engineering. Agarwal, the chief platform officer of multi-million dollar education technology company to use as or tells CNBC make it. So they go into some detail about this, um, but I've been noodling around, not just with this article, but with this idea um, about prompt engineering, because there's people that are losing their mind about AI and others that are litigating about AI and still others that are using it for um, doing their software development or stock trading, um, learning how to do one thing or another. I mean, a lot of it is very powerful utilitarian work. The problem is when you treat everything that it says as, you know, uh, <laughs> written in stone, absolutely correct. I, I can't count how many times I've had interactions with people and demonstrated how much garbage it spews out from personality assessments to um, spitting out information about some legal case um, or talking about engineering. Just the numbers are always wrong. Even in Google Bard, uh, where it has citations to source information, having it do analysis and then peeling back the layer just spits out garbage, um, misinterpreted, misanalyzed garbage. Um, but when more of us all use it, then it gets better and better, except for the fact that if you poison pill an AI, 
it just spits garbage out garbage in garbage out and it amplifies the garbage because so many people are feeding it garbage so you basically have idiocracy brewing in ai um, today i don't see it being successful um, as a solution for true and accurate information uh, i see it as something that is more for art for music for writing and then a human edits it to find detail it might be able to assess master and uh, turn data into information when it comes to things like financial data um, or data that is just data we know what it is and then the ai can synthesize some interconnection from all of this massive data that humans wouldn't be able to do but here is where this article really does come into play how to turn your prompt engineering skill into a high paying job prompt engineers are in demand some online freelancers are charging hundred dollars for five prompts um, uh, you can follow the link and it'll probably talk about Fiverr jobs and it does make it reported last month about that um, full-time job offers or job openings offer six figure salaries, including one from Google backed AI safety startup Anthropic that offers a salary range of up to $375 per year. As Bloomberg first reported that job probably requires, you know what? I don't normally do this, but I'll do it today. That job probably requires a PhD. So let's see, <laughs> you may be a good fit if you have three to five years of relevant transferable experience. That's quite nebulous. Uh, responsibilities, annual salary. Is there anything in here that says required? No, not really. Do do do. It doesn't say anything about education. Interesting, at least not at first blush. I'm scanning really fast, so maybe I'll miss it. All right. Well, y'all can go and take a look at this thing. Um, before we go there, see, I told you that I was going to miss one of these links. Z, I left two links behind. Just dropped them. Sorry about that. So, uh, 87% of U.S. CEOs and C-suite executives say they've struggled to find new employees with the necessary AI skills to be competitive in the future, according to a recent edX survey of 1,600 full-time workers, including 800 company leaders. Nearly half of the executives surveyed said that the skills that exist in the current workforce won't be relevant by 2025. I'm sorry, Z, yelling shame at me. It is shameful though. So uh, this is something that when I give talks, I tell people don't think about two years down the line, three years down the line, think minimum five years down the line from your academic pursuits. Because if you think just at the end of your academics, you're already going to be behind the people that are behind you. So here's the theory, and I follow this kind of like from physics. If a rocket leaves the U from the um, our 
uh, planet today, by the time it's traveled 50 years, right? So the person that's piloting the ship, let's say left at age 20 and is flying um, as close, well, accelerating towards the speed of light, let's say, but they, we can't even get that close. 50 years have transpired and they will get passed up by successive ships that use newer and newer technology as we go. And I follow that same ideology here when I give talks, because if you're planning your career now and your plan is only two to five years out, you will be superseded by the people who come on board into academia and their level of education is amplified, accelerated, and made more current because time progresses and academics modify their teaching so that it's more relevant for the workforce and or current levels of research. Early on, it's still basics, but it accelerates to get you on board and current within the same two, four, six, 10 years, depending on how far into your academics you go. So if you're ramping up to become something in AI now, you had better be thinking at least five years into the future, because by the time five years transpires, it will probably actually only end up being two years before you hit that five year ideal. It's accelerating faster than you can anticipate. So he says here that he points out that edX offers online training courses and certification programs that teach AI skills, including free prompt engineering courses like advanced chat GPT, which is kind of like advanced BS. Um, and a, a class for beginners offered in partnership with Davidson College. So prompt engineering is basically half art, half. Yeah, OK, we'll just take this because the prompt inputs are changing uh, pretty regularly. Um, you can become and it's a lot of guesswork as to what those uh, prompt elements are. Like Midjourney has changed their prompt syntax quite a bit um, over the months that existed <laughs> just just for Midjourney. Uh, you can imagine all the rest of them that are out there. Bard is the latest one, so um, we'll keep on talking about this kind of stuff. But you got to keep moving forward. Three hundred thousand dollars, and you can be a AI prompt engineer. What do you say? Hey Z, if you're still in chat, is this your uh, next career? Do you think that you'd be interested in writing prompts for AI? This next article is over in uh, Mobile. New York City Mayor announces that the new NYPD RoboCop needs a cop to guard it. It could be fun, Z. You're right. I, I agree. And for $300,000, writing a bunch of text periodically and understanding the context of it and how it all interrelates with the AI, 
it would be uh it might be pretty neat z says but i feel like you'd need a, a little creativity for that which i'm extremely lacking in i don't know i think you could be extremely creative for 300 grand a year you'll find a way i believe in you so i think that i if i were to look back at the library of episodes for hometown daily i'm pretty sure i said that this thing is going to get messed with it's going to get beaten up in the streets of new york so nypd is launching a new pilot program for a robot that will patrol the subway new york city mayor eric adams announced in a press release on friday morning our press conference the robot will have a two-month trial period in the Times Square subway station accompanied by a cop at all times. We're taking existing technology cameras, being able to communicate with people, and we're placing it on wheels, Adam said. Yeah, because people are re really going to accept this thing. I think it's one of the guard dogs or something like that. Oh, no, this is the this little pod. This thing is going to get beaten up the moment that cops walk away from it let's see here i want to see if there's anything new and interesting yeah okay so the nightscope k5 security robot weighs about 400 pounds and can move at a maximum speed of three miles per hour so cop uh, this is not a pushover adam says pointing to the robot he then walked over to the robot and tried to push it over four times saying it was heavy the robot did not tilt but rolled about an inch away from adams at the first push it's 420 pounds <laughs> it's new york tested no it is not i guarantee you the moment that a cop walks away from this thing new yorkers are going to plow this thing over it's very dystopian to have a robot monitoring you. And I, I don't know. I have a problem with this because I think that police should be of the population, defending the population from those that might do it harm. Um, and, and not a damn bot, you know, it should be open for communication and not a couple of microphones. It, it's, it's so dystopian. I just don't i don't agree with it um but then again you know i guess i'm not the mayor of a major metropolitan area it says it will not record audio it will not use facial recognition on both of those i'm sure there's a yet sitting in there and micro print however the k5 does have a button that connects you immediately to a live person the new yorker uh, that new yorkers can use 24 7 with questions concerns or to report an incident if needed I'm waiting for somebody to run up and smack that button and say, I have a feeling that K5 is in a little trouble. And then they push the K5 over. When asked by a reporter about how much the robot costs, Adam said, laughing, quote, I know you wanted to write about how we're wasting money, but I'm taking your thunder anyway. We're leasing at $9 an hour. That's the quote. This figure does not include the cost of the human officer who will be guarding the robot. So, yeah, I have to say that it's probably the least effective officer because all they're doing is guarding a robot. And it's not like the robot can just take off and protect this human officer should the human officer need protection or 
to go after somebody that might be causing harm, that robot is going to be abandoned for a, a large swath of time should that officer actually be needed. Unless their mandate is, okay, that building is burning down or there's somebody driving through the street shooting the place up. But what we want you to do is guard K5. That's it. Uh, all right. Yeah, that's the safer bet. I'll do it. Adam said the robot's main function would serve as a deterrent to crime. This egg is not going to stop crime. It's not going to deter crime. It's going to be nothing. I guess Marijuana is cynical about police technology in that form <laughs> if you want to stop crime make it so that people don't think that crime is the solution to all their woes somehow i doubt we're going to get that kind of a response let's keep going not great bob not great this is in the Lawnard channel. The New Jersey Senator's indictment is a whole journey. Let's go over to Above the Law real quick. Liz Dye over at Above the Law put this article together. And uh, I had seen this pop up. And so I know a little bit about it already. I knew about this previously. But <laughs> the only thing right out of my mouth was... The only thing we're going to hear about is how this is a Democratic Party problem. A Democrat is the one that did this, and it's going to get amplified like nobody's business. Well, the, uh, the article goes into detail about the historical context of <laughs> Bob Menendez under the impression that double jeopardy means that if you beat a bribery rap once you can never be charged with it again i believe the charges were actually dropped so i don't know if there was prejudice involved um with the the original case so he can't be charged with the same crime but if he commits new crimes it's not the same charge same crime it's a new crime same charge um it might actually get get amplified because he did it before and now the evidence actually is ringing true um the indictment unsealed this morning in the southern district of new uh, new york charges senator menendez his wife dean uh, menendez and new jersey businessman while hana uh, jose uribe i guess and fred dibes uh, with conspiracy to commit bribery and conspiracy to commit honest services fraud, which is a public service, uh, public servant crime. Um, the Menendezes are also charged with conspiracy to commit extortion as a public official. The evidence includes gold bars with traceable serial numbers, automatic loan payments for a Mercedes convertible, thousands of texts referring to their criminal schemes and half a million dollars in cash in the couple's home and safe deposit box some of it in envelopes bearing their co-defendants fingerprints dna and return address <laughs> that right there would probably be the one key element but uh, i'm not quite sure why their dna maybe they licked the envelope and the dna stayed on there so 
the, this cool little quote here in the middle of the article is the man was not subtle <laughs> man oh man oh man what is it about greedy bastards just becoming wildly uh rich or famous or connected etc I guess it's the whole idea of you scratch my back, I'll scratch your back. And that's kind of how this worked. Um, it says the most brazen, brazen scheme involved Menendez is monetizing his position on the SFRC to benefit the Egyptian government, which faced uh, Senate backed holds on military aid in 2018 due to its abysmal human rights record. Z says it's disgusting. Yeah, I agree with that. And I think that we should reiterate the line above that says, yeah, we're doomed. You wrote it's doomed in reference to the K five, but I think we're doomed. Um, not really. I think that we need to get rid of the greedy sociopaths. You don't take a public service job to make yourself richer and what's interesting is all of the subordinate like if you're not a senator or a congress critter in general um you basically accept as terms of your employment that you won't enrich yourself from your position and even senators are supposed to be bound by this that you're not supposed to enrich yourself from your position but you name me one senator or representative um that goes in and when they exit or each year you you look at their finances and they are at parity with their new salary right they're living within their means and their means is their salary like everybody else we may invest you know we may have a side gig but generally the bulk of your income comes from your gig, whatever your career is. But man, they just, <laughs> how a president leaves as a billionaire, but went in with dramatically less money is beyond me. And then people sit there and go, well, they didn't need to do this. This guy is just plain greedy. In July, Menendez texted his wife, Till, tell Will, Hannah, I am going to sign off on this sale to Egypt today. Um, Egypt, 46,120 millimeter target practice rounds and 10,000 ta uh, rounds tank munition, $99 million. Note, these tank rounds are for tanks they have had for many years. They are using these in the Sinai for counterterrorism campaign. It seems like it would be an altruistic kind of thing, but Menendez sent that to his wife and his wife sent that to Hannah, who then sent it to Egyptian officials. But none of that was supposed to have been sent to any of these officials. It needed to go through a particular process, um, but Privileged information was being proxied to um, the Egyptian government, apparently, um, and coined as consulting payments and, and other things. Hannah paid some $23,000 to bring her mortgage current. Um, he also threw in some exercise equipment to help the family keep fit during COVID. How exciting. 
Now, what's really interesting is this is a senator, but the same type of shit was going on with uh, Supreme Court justice, trips, mortgage payments, equipment, all kinds of stuff, apparently. Um, but you don't see charges being brought against a sitting Supreme Court justice. In fact, some of the claims that were made against a previous, well, they weren't a Supreme Court justice at the time. But the moment that one of the Supreme Court justices became a Supreme Court justice, all of the charges were dropped because they are no longer under ethics, um, I guess, prosecution, the outstanding ethics claims. Um, were abolished when they became a Supreme Court justice because they were no longer a, uh, they were a, a justice now, not an attorney. So kind of a shocking thing to hear, but then again, we're all equal, right? Right up until we hit some threshold where we have power and influence and you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. You stick a couple hundred thousand dollars in my pocket and I'll make sure that your policy and procedure are cleared um, because I'm the one that is kind of steering the ship. In 2019, Senator Menendez proposed to his girlfriend Nadine by singing to her in front of the Taj Mahal in India. This occurred over a year after Prosecutors say the couple who met a, a New York I, uh, met in an IHOP initiated their scheme to use Menendez's position to aid the government of, uh, I think it's Egypt, but there is a link here to um, a Twitter account. Who'd have thought that romance, which blossomed at a New Jersey IHOP, could go so wrong, according to... Yashar Ali. So there's more to this as it gets exposed, I suppose. And, you know, I don't really want Bob Menendez exposing himself. Let's keep going. We got two more articles. This next article is archaeologists discover previously unknown language from ancient tablet. I dig this kind of stuff because it peers back in time and, and uncovers yet another element of humanity. He recently discovered language remains largely incomprehensible, but researchers said it belongs to the Indo-European family. It's an article over at uh, newsweek.com. Aristos Giorgio is the author. Um, I don't think that this article, the video has anything to do with that article. So let's just kind of jump over it. Uh, but there is a video over there and uh, it says according to julius maximilian's universitat Wurzburg in germany that's a hell of a university um a public research university the lost language belongs to the indo-european family which includes hundreds of related tongues that are all thought to share a single prehistoric ancestor just under half of the world's population speak in indo-european language which are uh, native to most of Europe, the Iranian plateau, and uh, the northern Indian subcontinent. Some of those languages spoken Indo-European languages are English, Hindi, Spanish, French, Russian. 
uh, Portuguese, German, Punjabi, and Bengali. Really? Huh, interesting. I didn't think that those were... I didn't think that Russian was. Huh, all right. I, I guess if you go further back, um, before it would be classified as a Romantic language, it was Indo-European um, because um, Spanish and French are uh, considered, and Italian are considered Romantic languages, but German and I thought Russian uh, were considered barbaric languages, but I don't know. Maybe I've got it all wrong or I'm just not going back far enough. So excavations have been taking place at Bo <laughs> Bogazkoy Hatushi or Hatusha, sorry, um, for more than a century under the direction of the German Archaeological Institute. Around 30,000 clay tablets have been found at the site to date, which have shed some light on various aspects of life during the Hittite period. According to Julius Maximilians, Universitat Wurzburg, the tablets contain inscriptions in cuneiform. Oh, interesting. So if you're not familiar with cuneiform, it's a little, it, it's clay tablets that are written on by little triangular wedges. And depending on the angle and a number, they represent either words or uh, numbers. Was generally considered to be the oldest known writing system. It's really neat. Uh, developed by the ancient Sumerians of Mesopotamia more than 5,000 years ago, cuneiform is a script that uh, was used to write several languages of the ancient Near East. Uh, I'm sure if you go there, you'll be able to see um, some pictures that are up here in these gaps, but um, Elmtown is uh, protected, I'd say. However, excavations conducted this year, led by Professor Dr. Andreas uh, Schockner of the DAI's Istanbul department surprisingly uncovered a recitation of a previously unknown extinct language. The language was hidden on a cuneiform tablet containing a ritual text written in Hittite. The Hittite ritual texts refer to the lost tongue of the language of the land of Kalasma. It might be pronounced slightly different because there's a little symbol above the S, but I can't adequately i don't know what that is um an area that likely corresponds to where the towns of bolu and uh, garede in northern turkey are located today so that's pretty neat um, the study was published in the journal transactions of the philological society a team of scientists describe how they partially deciphered the unknown kushan script an ancient writing system that was once used in parts of Central Asia between around 200 BC and 700 AD. But the original, the language that they found, the written um, script that they found, it says is discovered language remains largely incomprehensible. Um, however, they've confirmed that its Chasmalaic tongue belongs to the Indo-European family. Pretty cool stuff. Yeah, I supremely love the, the idea of pe peeling back the layers of humanity, finding out more and more about us um, and maybe finding out um, our origin. It's pretty fantastic stuff. 
I mean, will somebody go diving in a cave that's completely gutted you know, underwater and they'll pop out in an air pocket and suddenly there's art and writing sitting there. Um, I'm always amazed by that. Just what do we not know? Um, somebody needs to get their time machine working. Let's keep going. Uh, the last article for today is over in Stock Marketeers. Unity updates fee structure in apology to game developers. But I, I don't think that this is going to help. I think the damage is done. Uh, Unity updated its new fee structure Friday in an apology to game developers announcing a revenue share engagement option that will go into effect in 2024. Uh, this, I think, is just an attempt to stem the blood flowing out of Unity um, in the form of dollars and trust and integrity. Wallace Witkowski over at MarketWatch put this article together, marketwatch.com. Users will be billed lesser amount of 2.5% revenue or new engagements per month. Um, I think this is just going to promote Godot, even though not every, not everything can switch over. You know, there might be something unique in Unity that can't switch over to some other engine, but um, I'm just shocked. Unity Software Incorporated updated its new fee structure on Friday in an apology to game developers. Earlier this week, Unity shares fell as the company said it was listening to the backlash from game developers. Quote, I want to start with this, wrote Mark Witten, head of Unity Create. Again, quote, I'm sorry. Well, that's off to a good start. Uh, then it continues... We should have spoken more of you or with more of you, and we should have incorporated more of your feedback before announcing our new runtime fee policy. Witten said our goal with this policy is to ensure that we can continue to support you today and tomorrow and keep deeply investing in our game engine. I agree, but anyway, it says quote for games that are subject to the runtime fee, we are giving you either 2.5 revenue share or calculated amount based on the number of new people engaging with your game each month. My problem there is that apparently there's some type of algorithm that's supposed to assess what is a new user. Um, and it's also apparently largely unity saying to these developers, uh, your bill comes to, let's say $5,000 trust us. Um, but sorry, um, I will be buffing my shiny metal ass so that you can kiss it. If you don't have telemetry that proves to me that my customer base is on par with my income. The moment that they don't align, I'm outie. I will never trust unity. Um, the moment that my income is lesser than the bill or the ratio of income is lesser than the purchases for my product, um, I will be absolutely livid. So we'll see what happens when reports start coming out. If they do implement this fully, um, which I 
for some reason, I think that people are still going to be bent out of shape about this. And not for some reason, for the reasons that I just said, which is it's it's still a, a guessing game, a black box of, oh, OK, here's what you need to pay us. Um, but it really should be the developers are are getting X amount of sales in a month. 2.5% of that revenue should go to unity. That's what they're saying. But my understanding is it's the reverse. It's going to be unity saying this is how much you owe us. Um, it says both of these numbers are self-reported from data you already have available. You will have, uh, you will always be billed the lesser amount. So it says self-reported, right? That's what they're talking about. <clears throat> Let's see if that is actually going to be in effect. And, uh, there's more like always over at, um, the sources that we talk about here. Um, the other thing that they say in this article is we will be increasing the cap from $100,000 to $200,000 and we will remove the requirement to use the Made with Unity splash screen according to the post. No game with less than $1 million in trailing 12-month revenue will be subject to the fee. So if you are making less than $1 million, you will not be subject to the fee. That right there is probably the one thing that will save Unity's butt. Because a million dollars in revenue is um, pretty good for a developer. As long as, I mean, it really depends on how much money their runway is providing them. If they're burning through, you know, <laughs> all of that million dollars in a year, uh, I don't know. So maybe they need to reevaluate uh, what their enterprise is built off of. Uh, okay, well, that's it, folks. I am done for tonight. Let's drag everybody back to Main Street right at that welcome sign. We'll mash the logo and say welcome to Omtown once more. Um, let's see. Democratic Senator pressured to resign over indictment and alleged corruption. Yeah, I knew that was coming. Um, and everybody is going to be pointing at that, pointing at that, pointing at that. Although you can point at pretty much every politician out there for crying out loud. And the ones that get upset with me saying you could point at every politician, eh, it doesn't mean much to me. The whole phrase is one bad apple spoils the bunch, not Oh, it's just one bad apple. It's one bad apple spoils the bunch. Z says every last one of them. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, there are there are people out there where they're not benefiting from their position through power and influence. They're benefiting from their position largely because they're just more prominent in existence, right? There's only a hundred senators. Um, so with each successive year, they become more and more powerful. So if they happen to write a book or they happen to do something that leads to them being able to capitalize on their notoriety, that's kind of one thing. But when they sit there and they have insider information and they make stock trades 
or they have insider information, they're on a committee that has direct influence on a particular sector, that sector blooms and so does their cachet of wealth. It's just beyond the pale. It isn't that they did something where they earned it. It's because of their position that they made this kind of money. This scumbag is sitting there using his position as leverage to gain personal wealth instead of living paycheck to paycheck like everybody else does. You know, uh, <laughs> you live based on your income. And if you have side gigs, sure, but your side gigs aren't what amounts to bribery, right? <laughs> I know that, uh, so I'm the mayor of hometown. I know that I cannot benefit from my position. And just so you all know, I can't benefit from my position outside of uh, hometown. When I'm not the mayor of hometown, I have the same, the same framework. I am not allowed to personally benefit from my professional environment where I am. I can't benefit. And, and I certainly could, but my ethics, my morality doesn't allow me to anyway, because it's predatory. It, there's a power imbalance. I have the ability to glean knowledge, um, and, and exploit it. And I can't do it. it it's just, it, it's beyond me to sit there and go, oh yeah, yeah, I have this information and I can do something with it. So many of these people have privileged information and they're acting on it or they're telling their friend and their friend is acting on it and their friend is benefiting the other part, the original receiver of information one way or another, you know, Hey, I'll take you on a trip. Cough, cough sitting Supreme court justice. I'll take you on a trip. Anyway, enough of that. I am done for tonight. I will see you tomorrow, 9 PM Eastern. No, eight. We're going to stick to eight. Sorry. Um, 8 PM Eastern from now on we're at 8 PM. Um, I am setting it up so that I can do a nine o'clock show. Um, right after this one, it may not be exactly at nine o'clock cause it's nine 15 now, but essentially I want to do two shows, um, periodically, uh, but I'm not ready yet. Who knows when I will be, but I will, I will get there. I'll get there. And the way that it'll work is I'll do the show. I'll end the stream, start it right back up and we'll do the next show. Um, that way it's partitioned even as a VOD here in um, Twitch. So if you're still hanging out, thank you very much. I will see you tomorrow. And thanks for hanging out, uh, particularly you Z. I see you. I will preach and you have a good night. Hopefully I'll be able to talk later. Really depends on how the rest of the evening goes. Um, I may be absolutely exhausted. Cheers. Ciao. See you tomorrow.